0: So I want to say hello to you, Dr. Dennis McGuagy. Thank you for joining me for our O talks and for our Super Soul Sunday podcast. I have to tell you, I have um, witnessed your great works on the world stage for quite some time now, and I consider this a day of honor uh, and privilege for me to be able to talk to you. So I just want to tell the world who you are. Everybody knows that you won the Nobel Peace Prize um, and that you are a world-renowned doctor and human rights activist who has dedicated your life to caring for survivors of sexual violence in a way that almost nobody else has in the world. Uh, And now a published author, I'd have to say, I am so honored uh, to call this an Oprah book. Um with flat iron. you know, I believe wholeheartedly in this title uh, of the power of women. And you know, I want to do something in this interview that I've never done in the thousands of interviews I've done over the years. I would like to begin with a moment of silence, in honor, mm-hmm. in reverence to all of the lives that you saved, and those that you've lost. Thank you for that. And I have to say that in reading The Power of Women, I wanted to be a part of the publishing of this book and getting it out into the world. But in reading it, I thought, you are some kind of special human being. Obviously, the forces of life that many of us call God uh, had its hand in your life to become who you have in the world. Um, And as I read your memoir, The Power of Women, A Doctor's Journey of Hope and Healing, I couldn't help thinking that your work as a doctor who actually specialized first in maternal health, you were thinking you were going to be working in maternal health, that it was fated. Mainly, I think, starting with both of your parents' mothers died in childbirth. So I wanna know how that factored into your choice of becoming a doctor.
1: Yeah, um, thank you so much. I want to thank you for supporting this this book. And I think that really uh, for me is meaningful that I can get this interview with you. Um, yeah, uh, when really I was uh, very young, uh, eight years old. Uh, at this moment, my, my father was a pastor and uh, I used to follow him in his ministry. And uh, something really touched me uh, when I saw my father praying for a child who was sick. And um, I think uh, this was something very powerful for me to see that my father could just pray and don't give medicines. So I asked my father, why you just pray and you don't give medicines? And my father answered me, I'm not a medical doctor. And this was very new for me because a father is, uh, for a child, he's someone who can do everything. And there I discovered that he could just pray and he can't give medicine. And for me, I just tell him, you know, when I'm myself sick, you are just not praying for me, but you are also giving medicine. I think that this discussion with my father was really something very strong in me. And I take it as a convention with my father to become a medical doctor so I can support, I can, I can support him in his ministry in giving medicines. Uh, But uh, when I become an adult and talking with my mother, there I could learn what happened to uh, uh, the the mother of my father and her own mother. They died in really just after uh, delivery. And this was really terrible things. And uh, in all my history, I think that myself, uh i just if i'm alive today it's because my mother was a strong woman a powerful woman she fight to save my life and all these things together i think that is uh, um, uh, the reason that uh, today i'm doing what i'm doing i can say that it's, uh, it's really a long story and this story starts very early in my life and the life of my parents.
0: Yes, and it's so highly unlikely that you, coming from the background that you came from, would actually even end up being a doctor, born in a shack and faced, you know, turbulent times in in, in your native country, of the Congo. Medical school must have seemed completely out of reach at the time, but your mother, who you call your first hero in many ways, made it possible for you to become a doctor, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that she supported me a lot. Uh, I can even say that sometimes I was at the way to just uh, uh, abandon my uh, my ambition to be a medical doctor, but she used all her uh, intelligence and to, to to support me and and to just bring me on on the way of uh, to be a medical doctor. It was not easier in my country, of course, but. Um, uh, really, I can say that my mother, she, she helped me to bring me back on my ambition. And uh, today I can really be, uh, um, I can recognize her for what she did uh, to support the ambition and bring me on the right way.
0: Well, and you write that it was because the Congo faced a maternal healthcare crisis that you made the decision to become... An OBGYN, not a pediatrician as you'd originally planned. What was that maternal healthcare crisis at the time?
1: Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, uh, at the beginning, my ambition was to be a pediatrician. And uh, I did all that I could uh, do to become a pa- pediatrician. But when I started to work in uh, a remote area in, in Lemera Hospital, there really i found another reality and there uh, i was walking in the in the hospital where uh, we could lose two women per day in the um, during the 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 delivery and um, most of women were coming to the hospital bleeding uh, coming from the remote area without transportation, without the possibility to take care of them. And I started just to discover that uh, uh, to take care of babies, we need also to get uh, uh, their mother alive. And uh, after one year working in this condition where really maternal mortality was something that uh, people are just seeing, uh, uh, could see it like a normal sense it was, uh, uh, a kind of fatalism a mother today was just as a normal thing in in this village and uh, especially uh, i can remember one day a, a woman who just before to uh, to deliver she told me uh, she did her last word before uh, to get uh, to, to, to get in the world and uh, mm-hmm. just understand that why women can feel that to be pregnant is just to be between um, the death and, and the life. And, and, and in other places, this is not really a terrible thing to, to be pregnant. And there I decide to say, okay, uh, maybe uh, I can be in uh, another, uh, maybe to be obstetrician where I can work with mother, but also to support uh, children. So I changed my, my ambition just when I saw that it was possible to do uh, more than only to take care of, b- of babies.
0: And we see that the maternal healthcare crisis that still goes on in the Congo, and in fact has gotten worse as a reflection of women's lowly status in the society. How and
1: when did you, you make that connection? Um, yeah, uh, I, I think in, in Congo today, what, what we can see even today, I can say that even today we have a big problem. Congo is one of the countries where the maternal health is, is, the obstetrical care is really very, very, very low. And the women are not getting enough support uh, when it comes to the maternal health. And uh, for me, the connection between is because you can't get babies if you don't have, if you don't have mothers in a good health. And uh, uh, when you are working with maternal health, you have also to take care of babies. And, and for me, the connection was there, just I say, okay, I, I have already did my thesis in, in, in pediatrics, but uh, now, if I can complete my, my training with, uh, uh, the, with, with uh, um, uh, the obstetrical care for women, then maybe uh, I can be more effective to support, uh, to support women and uh, to, to just to, uh, to help women to, to don't fear to be, to be pregnant and to, because there is no reason for women to be fear when they are pregnant but in Congo really this is a big it's
0: and you realize this to a great extent when you uh, spent some time in France as a doctor and your eyes were open and you realize that women there rarely if ever died in childbirth that was a big revelation right or aha moment for you
1: exactly or I spent uh, five years in uh, in maternity, and I have never seen a woman die in in, in, in the delivery room. And, yeah. and for me, this was a shock. Why? Why it can be like that in France and not in in my country? Why mm-hmm. women in my country can uh, can be in this situation that they know that to be pregnant is a, a big risk to lose their life? So I think that for me, this was really very touching and. Uh, It was also a motivation to say, we can make a difference. We can change things in a good way for women of of Congo.
0: So I wanted to just say that women were dying in childbirth in large numbers because of the lack of trained professionals, of doctors, of nurses, of midwives, to actually see them through uh, labor and delivery. But, you know, it's so interesting how we all start out with uh, plans for our lives because I thought I was going to be a fourth grade teacher because I love my fourth grade teacher so much and I ended up uh, using television as a platform for teaching because God had a bigger dream you know the the, the forces of my life move me in a different direction than than being a fourth grade teacher and you started out in maternal health and then the atrocities in Rwanda occurred, you described the, uh, your primary focus was maternal women's health until the genocide in Rwanda uh, jumped the border into the Congo and sexual violence against women spiked and became more of the norm than not. How did that change you?
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is really, the, what can I say? It's uh, how my life is changing with circumstances. Yes. And- uh, You thought uh, you were going down really... one
0: path, then that war <laughs> happens and it takes you someplace else. So exactly. when did you know that you were gonna, going, going to now spend your yeah, life that... trying to save victims of rape?
1: In the aftermath of the genocide in Rwanda, Uh, two years after the war started in Congo. And this, uh, the war in Congo is really a war on the body of women. And um, it was my first time to see these terrible things, how how human beings can uh, be so do atrocity on the body of women. And uh, I was not prepared to really to take care of women in this circumstance because there is, no books talking about this kind of violence on, on, on women to destroy the genital and so on. But for me, uh, I was there and I just feel that I should do something to, to support and help women who come to my hospital with all these terrible uh, wounds on, on their genitals. And I just treat the first, the second, and after three months, I just found that I already treat mm. 45 uh, women with the same stories. I was raped and after to rape me, they shoot on my genitals, they, they burn, they introduce bayonet and things like that. And uh, for this, at this moment, really, I didn't think that I will do this kind of things for 20 years. And uh, today is now 20 years, these things is happening and it's still happening. Even uh, last week before to leave Congo, uh, you, I, I was uh, just in my operating room um, treating, operating a young girl of uh, six years. And it's just terrible, but uh, when I just changed uh, to, to become uh, a doctor. Being who a young is, girl
0: of six years, did you just say a young six-year-old? Yes,
1: exactly. 6 six, 6 years old yeah she was raped and all uh, her genital was completely uh, completely destroyed and uh, they they brought her to the hospital and uh, uh, yeah we we just uh, operate her to uh, and and i think that now i have already operate more than 60000 60000 women with uh, different kind of of, of wounds on, on their body. Yeah, well, and, uh, and, and I can say that I was not prepared for that. My, my goal was to support, at the beginning, it was to support children. And after I moved and I become obstetrician uh, to support women, and now it's uh, really what I'm doing is just to to treat all this kind of uh, atrocities on, on women. And I think that this is really, some things yeah. that
0: well, have to I, I change. Think One of the reasons why I wanted to support you in, in publicizing this book is to let people know that this is still going on. And you describe yeah. the atrocities some of your patients had experienced. I mean, reading the book is in itself a, a venturing into a world that for most people is unthinkable, unthinkable when to, to being shot in the genitals made to squat over a fire having your genitalia you're burned being raped in front of your husband or your children and even at times having the children being forced to join join in on those rapes and you you write that what human beings can do to other human beings sometimes shocks you and i i just want to read from the book where you say at various Now I was changing again, owing to events beyond my control to become a specialist in treating rape injuries. And at various points, particularly at the beginning, but not only then, I have doubted whether I could carry on. I have felt my work crush my spirit. Sadness descend on me like a shroud. It has sometimes shaken my faith in my fellow human beings. There is only so much anyone can take of witnessing bodies, lives, and communities being torn apart. So what has enabled you to carry on from 45, those first three months, to now 60,000 women?
1: Uh, uh, What really is, uh, I can say, supporting me in what I'm doing is the strength strength of women. I I could never imagine how women are strong because most of the women, when they come to our our hospital, they are in the situation that I can say, and uh, say it uh, really, uh, I I have treated some men. And what touched me is when men in the same condition, when they have their, for example, there, it happens that their sex is cut or or things like that to men. I have never seen a man who can stand up again and say, "I'm a man. I want to go on fighting for my right, for the right of others." But what is really so touching for women, even if they're destroyed completely, even if the you you, you can just get impressions that they will never stand stand up again. But uh, in treating women, I, I'm, I'm so touched with this courage and this, this time that women have to stand up. And when they stand up, they're not stand up only for themselves. This is really very special. I think that when women stand up, they stand up for the right, but also for the right of their children, the right of the community. They are just, when it happened to women, they become, most of them become activists, fighting for the right of others. And this is really so touching for me and to feel how women are strong, how they are power, because the power of women is not for themselves, is for how they can empower the entire community, their family and their children.
0: And that's why you call the book, The Power of Women. I, I love the story exactly. that you tell that <clears throat> it's impossible for to care for men after they're suffering because they, they go through so many mental health problems. You can't get through to them. You yeah. they, they have trouble living with the fact that they are gonna now be handicapped in some way, but that for almost every woman, they manage to find a sense and new meaning mm-hmm for their existence, which is just incredible. And the book is filled with story after story of incredible women. I want you to tell us about Bernadette. You say she is an exemplar of resilience. She was stopped by soldiers and shot in her vagina, y'all. Shot in her vagina. And not only did she pick herself up and go and get help, which I can't even imagine that after in doing multiple surgeries, and dashed hopes for having children, she became a skilled caregiver herself.
1: Yeah, I, I think that she's one of the wonderful uh, women I treated in the hospital, and really, I, I can't even believe what she's doing today to support others, and uh, uh, when she was doing her, uh, her curses, and I asked her, why do you want to be uh, anesthesia and she said you know doctor I suffer a lot when it happened to me you can't imagine uh, to be shot in in the vagina and, and and destroy the rectum to destroy the bladder everything was completely destroyed when she came to the hospital and I was not even thinking that she will uh, she will uh, I can uh, treat her and uh, uh, she can get healing but uh, when really she told me that she wanted to be a nurse and after to finish her school of nurse, she said, no, I think that the better sense is to, to do uh, a specialization in anesthesia so I can support other women to not really uh, suffer as myself. I suffer when, when they did this uh, atrocity on my body and you can you can't imagine to someone who suffer like that and say i don't want others to suffer as myself i suffer when they, they shoot they shoot on me and today she's working in our operating room to support other women to take care of them and and, and just it's like she know exactly what can happen and how the suffering is and to support others for me this all these women are just my hero because uh, she, she could be maybe, maybe very uh, um, angry with other and say what, why it happened to me, why I was not yes, protected yes. by the society and treat the society as just bad people who didn't support her. No, the opposite is to say, I don't want other to suffer. And this for me is just something so touching.
0: There's also Wamazeela, who as a teenager was captured by soldiers and tied to a tree where she was repeatedly raped by anybody who felt like it for a year. What did you do to help her survive that horrific experience medically and psychologically? Because you all realized shortly after performing these surgeries that you needed more than just physical rehabilitation, physical therapy, that there is a whole um, trauma process that needed to be instilled in order to help these women. But let's talk about Wamusila, who as Womisila. a teenager was captured by soldiers and tied to a tree. How did, you know, when I read that story, I was like, I don't know how you maintain your sanity when something like that happens to you? How, how, does, how did she stay sane?
1: Yeah. Uh, at the beginning, I was just treating them physically. And uh, after six months, I could discover that to treat them physically was not enough because the people who raped them, the goal was to destroy them, not only physically, but especially to destroy them mentally and uh, just bring in destroying them in doing this kind of uh, atrocities in front of the family, their children or the husband is not only to destroy the women, but is also to destroy all all the families, the community. And uh, when we start to treat uh, women physically, we could see really that it was not enough uh, to treat them physically. So after six months, we start really to think because what, what we could see, it was that after to treat them and uh, to ask them to go back home, it was difficult. They so were just coming with other complaint, asking other treatment. And even if physically we could not see anything, but the problem was there. So we introduced to support them psychologically. And this was like uh, really something to change completely the life of of women. When we start to support them psychologically, we could see that at the end, we're really able to take their life and support themselves and and change really uh, their life. And this was the second pillar of our our treatment. But this was not enough because, you know, when it happened, uh, to women to be raped in front of all the community uh, they are excluded, rejected by the community.
0: Right.
1: So uh, the third thing that we did, or this, the third pillar or, of our holistic care was to support women economically, so they can be enough strong economically, so they can be uh, uh, autonomous and and live without to be supported by men or by the community. And this was really magic because when women are strong enough economically uh, there, you don't need really to give them the place in the society. They will take it themselves because they are enough strong to say what they want and to take care of themselves and at the end, we could see that when women are physically, not bad, psychologically, because they can't forget but they are enough strong to fight for themselves and fight for their own rights. And economically, when they are enough strong economically, the last thing that women were asking us was justice. And I can say that this is really uh, uh, it's a one, one thing to treat them physically psychologically to support them economically and to get justice is a way that women can just understand that okay it happened to me but the community understands that it was not my fault it was not i didn't really look for what happened to me and for women i think that justice is 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 this still the
0: case now dr McWaggie, that women are still being blamed for their own rapes?
1: Now, I think that the society start to change a little bit, but Mm -hmm. when it comes to justice, we still have a problem. We still have a problem. And and really, this is really a a challenge for for what we are doing because now we have a lot of women who are seeking justice because the perpetrators are there, they can see them, and they're still in power, they are in armies, they are in the police or the administration. And this is not normal because it's like just to say, okay, it happened to you, it's not a matter. But we need, now women are pushing to get justice. And what I want to say also is, when women are asking justice, it's not because they want to get something back. They want just to be recognized as victims. And for the society, this is very important.
0: Well, you say sexual violence is also part of the military strategy. I did not realize this until reading the book. Rape is a part of this process of ruthless exploitation. Uh, The 25 years of sexual violence in the Congo is bound up with the plundering of raw materials. But sexual violence is also part of the military strategy. This is what I didn't realize of commanders, rapes are carried out as a way of disciplining anyone suspected of failing to support the rebels. And if a community is suspected of being hostile by working with the Congolese armed forces or a rival militia, the women are the ones who are targeted. So if that is, uh, if it's a strategy for the commanders and it's used as it's as its, as, as its own force against the communities, how is there ever going to be justice?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I think that to, to use rape as a weapon in, in the community, is a way not only to destroy women, but it's a way also to destroy all the community.
0: All the, community.
1: And yeah. exactly. the and communities, And Exactly. Because the communities don't that-
0: exist without the women. The women are holding. Exactly. Yes.
1: And and I think that if you can see how the community is, uh, women are supporting the community. So if you destroy women in the community, the community is completely, completely destroyed. And uh, this uh, weapon of war is very uh, efficient because I I, I can see how it's happening in, in many places where rape is used as a weapon of war. It's to destroy the fabric of the the family, of the society, and when the fabric is completely destroyed. So you can just use the population as you want because this strength of the community, uh, when the, the fabric of the society is destroyed, so the society can't really, um, resist or can't fight for, for himself, can't ask his own right, and uh, the population is completely humiliated, and they are just there to, to accept everything. since. And I think that using women is a way to show men that you are not able to protect your wife. So what kind of men are you? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really a, a terrible way to uh, to destroy and even for the next generation when when women are pregnant and they can't there is no filiation they have children who don't have any filiation in the community all these children are rejected by 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 the community so it's it's a kind of really um, evil way to to destroy communities and when the community is it's destroyed, so you can exploit him. You can exploit right. this community without any problem. And it's and what of, is happening in Congo.
0: One of the things you write about um, violence is being like a virus, you say, it's like a contagion. And in this case, you're right. referring to the Rwandan genocide that skipped over the border to the Congo. And I was, I was particularly struck by that because you see sexual violence in this particular case, in the Congo, being spread like a virus. Exactly. We all are now, they're exactly. familiar with what a virus is. So being spread like a virus, imagine.
1: Yeah, uh, you, you know, when this is happening in public and you can imagine a child of 10 years who can see her mother rape in front of him, how you can ask this child to, to respect women? It's not possible. So, we have all these young soldiers, uh, the uh, child soldiers who are, they they have from the commander this order to rape women. And just when they have guns, uh, many commanders are asking, are telling them that you have a gun so you can get ever since money, women and, and so on. So when children who are 12, 14, 15 years, they, have, they just get this order from the commander to rape women. When they leave the army, the group army. they, they have just to go on doing it because it, it becomes just their way uh, of, of, of living and so they are just using rape uh, and they start very young. And I think that all these uh, children are just in the society as a virus to go on raping even if they are not in the uh, the group army if even if they are not in the army they become very dangerous for the society to destroy mm. the society because they learn to to destroy women very earlier in in their life and uh, uh, that is the reason in in the book i said that uh, it's like a virus in the society and uh, uh, we to use rape and especially use rape in front of children, is really to destroy not only one generation, but many generations.
0: So how do you stop a virus?
1: Yeah, you know, we are really working very hard with what we call to fight against uh, toxic masculinity, because uh, this uh, virus of rape in the community, the only one way is to change the mindset of, of men to understand that uh, to destroy women is to destroy uh, all the society. It's not only to destroy women, but is to destroy all the, the society. And uh, working against the uh, um, toxic masculinity for us is really education and men need education to understand. So you go the, and sit the with the wrong, leaders?
0: Do you go and sit with the leaders themselves, the chiefs, yeah. the yeah. people who we, are in the communities and exactly. try to reason with them that when you rape and commit violence against the women, look at how you're destroying your entire community and everybody loses? Is that is that the approach?
1: Exactly. Our approach is to talk all with uh, political leaders, talking with... Uh, religion leaders and uh, to talk with all leaders in the community and talk about this question. And I can uh, assure that we are so surprised to see that sometime when we are talking about this question, people are not re- realizing that this is a terrible sense. It, it looks like that it can happen for other women, not for my mother, for my sister, for my my daughters. and. Just if men can start to think that if I can't accept this for my mother, if I can't accept it for my, my daughter or my, my, uh, my wife, why I, I can accept it for others? And just to bring people to think what they're feeling themselves when this happened to one of their relatives. And, 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 and I think that discussing about this kind of question with men uh, in schools. We are doing it in university and at many places where we can bring men together and talk about this question of uh, toxic masculinity. You know, in many societies, talking about men in patriarchal society is like men have a power. Men must be strong. He can do everything as men and so on. And I think that all these things we are doing it without thinking on the consequence of the education of men in our society, in patriarchal society, to, to just show boys that you must be strong, you can't cry, you, you have, to, but all these things are bringing just boys to be in another way, to be so aggressive and, and destroying their own community.
0: But also because women have such a low place in society, even though even if that woman is your mother, if that woman is your sister, she still has such a low status in society. Tell us about the moment I can't remember the the uh, officer's name. Uh, I don't know if he was a general or a sergeant, or but but some person of authority had come to visit your hospital,
1: yeah. and
0: all of the women were put in the room to speak with him and at some point. He fainted. Yeah. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it was uh, uh, a general of the army
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, he was uh, a specialist in, uh, in forensic, uh, legal medicine, forensic uh, at uh, the high level of the country. So uh, he came at the hospital to try to see what we are doing and how we are working with this question. And he was really very proud of himself as a general, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, just talking about uh, uh, sexual violence as it was just something that we could solve with with some uh, some solutions. And uh, but when he came at the hospital, I remember in just a just small girls of uh, twelve years. She started to talk to him with authority, showing him how this is terrible for, for the community and how she was raped her, herself and so on. And this commander, he could not resist to this young girls who, who, who were talking with authority. And I could just, I saw how this general uh, fall down and uh, he started to cry and, and just, we, we, we just bring him to, to help him because he was in very, very bad, bad condition. And after this, what he told me, he was not thinking that it was so terrible for, for women what he could solve this day. And, and this is really maybe in many cases where people are, when they are talking about sexual violence, they don't understand what is the consequence of, of the sexual violence. And this guy was a general, working with a forensic in the army, but uh, he was just thinking that uh, he will talk with, uh, with women and, and just give some advice uh, to, to the team at the hospital. But when after to talk with victim of sexual violence, he just, uh, he, he went back completely, changed in his mind how to see this question of sexual violence because he could just get this testimony from a young girl.
0: Eve Ensler, who now goes just by the name V, wrote the Vagina Monologues, and she became very influential to you and to the patients, victims, survivors, and work uh, that you do there. Um, How did that evolve? I know I, I, I read that you loved how she exalted the vagina and inspired women to accept their physiology and be proud of it. You invited her to the Congo and she listened to all the women's stories or many women's stories and later helped raise money to found the City of Joy, which offered a safe place for rape victims. So she was instrumental in bringing attention to and helping your organization.
1: Yeah, exactly. When when she came for, I was in New York and I got a discussion with her at the School of Law of New York. And after this moment, I asked her, I was so surprised to see that she could talk about the va- vagina uh, clearly. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I'm, I'm uh, obstetrician. So I was very happy to see that uh, this question could be, uh, she could talk about it openly because uh, I, I, I'm convinced that uh, um, people are not talking about vagina it's only the way to, to, to destroy women because we don't want to talk about it. But uh, when we are, uh, there is no law, there is no face and on. Uh, things are happening in a very bad condition. And it was for me the first time to talk with someone was talking about the vagina openly. So I invite her in, in, in Congo and she came. When she came, I was at the point that uh, really I was psychologically. I was really very, very down, and I was just asking myself if I can go on doing what what I was doing at the hospital. And uh, now, when she came, she she just started to talk about her own experience when it comes to sexual violence to talk to talk with girls and and women at the hospital, and. Uh, Uh, she asked women what she could do for them. And women come with their proposal to ask if uh, she can help them to go to a place where they can wait after to be treated, if uh, they can wait somewhere before to go back in their own home. And I I can remember that uh, she started with dancing with, with women. They invite me to dance with them. And it was just a moment where I just feel this uh, possibility to bring joy in in the life of of women. And I could see how themselves could express uh, uh, this joy to be supported by someone who has the same experience with them coming from the state. Uh, for women of Congo, it was just okay. So it's not only us, it can happen uh, uh, in other places and a place as the state, if this can happen. So I think that this moment was really crucial for me because I just feel that I got a new strength to go on with with what uh, I was doing at Panzi, And uh, so we make the plan to get the city of joy and the city of joy today is working very, very good to support 90 uh, girls each six months, to support them, to help them, uh, to transform their pen in power and give them possibility to restart a new life. And uh, it's a really a good program that we are doing at the City of Joy.
0: You know, I f- I fear for you, you seem to be a fearless man, but I fear for you, I, I lost, Track of how many times there have been attempted assassinations on your life. And that last one where you lost one of your trusted employees who jumped in front of you um, and literally saved your life. Um, how many times have, have they tried to kill you?
1: Uh, I, if, if really I can count uh, what, what I have proved that uh, people can and tried to to shoot on my car, to shoot on on yeah, it uh, around six times. And uh, this is just terrible uh, what happened when they come at my place and uh, um, I took my two girls as hostage in in, in my house. And after start to shoot, and Joseph was was killed. Uh, Uh, in front of me, I don't know how I escape. Uh, Yes, I don't know how I escape. But uh, what I learned for this uh, uh, assassination attempt was uh, what women are um, and during when this happened to them. And it was really experience for me to understand how it's painful uh, to leave these kind of things, because women coming to the hospital, most of them, it's after to be raped with people with guns who shoot on the, on their relatives for to get them and bring them in the forest. I think that this really brings me to understand more the victim of sexual violence and treating at the hospital you've how they threatened. can suffer.
0: You've been threatened, not, you've been threatened, you've been intimidated. You were supposed to speak to the UN, you were told, visited and told you absolutely will, if you speak, you will not live. They've been to your home. They've held your daughter's hostage. As you said, they killed your longtime employee in the attempt to try um, to kill you. Do you live with fear still for your life?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, when when they come to my house and and kill Joseph, I left Congo. Uh, of course, uh, for me, it was a red line. And I said, OK, I want to support women, but uh, not at this price. Uh, I have really to leave because also I have my okay. doctors, I have responsibility on them. And uh, I, I left Congo at this moment. But I can tell you what happened, what happened to me. Uh, I have to say that. This was the sixth attempt. I leave because. I,
0: you, this was the sixth attempt. This was
1: the sixth attempt. Yes, exactly.
0: Yes. And at
1: this time, I decided to leave Congo because, of course, I was afraid But what happened to me. But uh, the, the big question was how I, I, I return or how I came back in Congo. It's mm-hmm. only because women are really very strong. Women of a small island in, in, in South Kivu, They decided to write to the president of Congo, uh, Joseph Joseph Kabila, the president of Congo, um, the former president. And they wrote a letter to ask him to bring back their their doctor, Dennis Mukwege, have to come back. But they didn't get any answer. They wrote to the uh, Secretary General of the UN a letter and they sent me a copy. They didn't get any answer. And at the end, all these women together, they said, OK, if they don't want to bring him back, we have to do our action. And they start uh, to to sell uh, fruits and vegetables and bring each Friday $50 at the hospital. And they said, we'll do it until we get the ticket for Dr. Mukwege and his family to come back. And when I received this message, I just got the impression that they're joking because uh, the, the women in, in, in South Kivu, they don't have even one dollar per day for themselves. How yeah. they can find the ticket no. to bring me back from the from the state? I was in Boston. So they decide to do it and they start to collect money. And when they come to the hospital for the, the third, they understand that they're determine to, to get this money and they will do it because I know how women are strong and just I took the decision to say I have to go back because if I put in the balance them and myself of course they are waiting very um, very heavy if you can compare with myself so I decided to come back and when I come back they said okay now we took a decision we'll get 25 women each each day to protect you, to be around you. So uh, we'll see who can kill uh, 25 women without to, before to reach you. And I I can just say that this for me was the sign of the power of women, how women are strong. And when they decide to do something, no one can stop them. So I, now I'm in, 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 in Congo since 2000, Thirteen, and I can say that uh, women are really the strong support for me. Even if still, I can be of, intimidate. Of,
0: excuse me. That army of twenty-five women—do they still show up every day for you, or do you have greater protection?
1: Yeah. Now, now at uh, you know uh, this uh, this strength brings that uh, the UN react, and now I have soldiers of UN who are. Uh, protecting me at the hospital. I'm living in the hospital because it was very dangerous for me uh, to live in the city. And now I'm living in the hospital. It's all, also It was only also the one way for me to go on treating uh, these the, the women at the hospital. And now I have the EM the who are protecting me at, at the hospital. But mm-hmm. the idea came from women of
0: Idris those 25 women surrounding the gates of the hospital. So what was your greatest fear? Uh, Dr. McGregor, what was your greatest fear that you were able to overcome and what allowed you to overcome it?
1: Yeah, Um, I I think that uh, uh, today I have impression that uh, my fear is uh, that uh, how we can succeed to get a world where women can feel safe, where women can't fear against sexual uh, sexual violence. And and, and, and for me, uh, uh, I have this fear that uh, uh, fighting for now 20 years, I have an impression that The response is really very, very uh, true, and I would like to see the world to be mobilized and take really responsibility to understand that uh, uh, to fight against sexual violence is to create a world where it will be safe for women to live without fear against sexual violence. to think about next generations when i can think about my 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 grand etc I'm, I'm sometime i have this feeling that uh, yeah after 20 years i was hoping that maybe we can get a strong mobilization in my country that all the people can understand that the future of the country is lying in the hands of women. And the only one way is to support them, to don't fear uh, against uh, sexual violence, to be safe. But um, uh, yes, I have a fear that uh, the fights that we are doing uh, maybe will be long and, uh, and uh, this is really- you
0: certainly are a warrior for peace, I mean, I, I feel like obviously you've survived six assassination attempts. Um, I re- recall the time that they shot into your office and shot through your chair and you yeah. had just gotten up and moved to another side of the, of the, of the room or had gone into another, another room and they just missed you by, by, by seconds then. So obviously there is um, favor and a calling on what you are doing. Do you fear that now that you have spoken so boldly and that it is in print and that the words cannot be taken back or cannot be misinterpreted, that there is a higher price on your life?
1: Yeah, um, really this book for me is, uh, uh, can maybe raise this uh, um, the intimidation and 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 maybe to attempt on on my life but i think that it's something that really for me uh i just this feeling that i i, I should do it i have to do it because it's a way also to talk or um, to to the world about what is happening in my country what is happening for women of Congo, and it's not only for women of Congo, because I travel around the world and I could see that women, I was in Iraq, I was in in Colombia, I was in in Kosovo. And I, I can see that this question of women, I know that it's a big risk for me to write this book, but it's also a way to just bring more people to understand. I hope that more people will read this book and understand that we have all a responsibility. Everyone can do something to make this world better for women. And uh, everyone can ask himself the question, what I'm doing myself to, to, to get the world better, to get a world where uh, sexual violence will will not be as we can see everywhere today women are not safe to uh, to to get a normal life because only there are women and uh, for me it's a responsibility to 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 write this book uh, even if i know that it can just create uh, more um, intimidation and more uh, attempt on my life, but I think that it's very important that everyone can understand that I have a responsibility yeah. to stop what is happening in the world when it comes, the way that people are seeing women as um, as weak, as inferior, as, uh, and they can treat them as, as, as they want. I think that we can just change the paradigm uh, and this book, for me, is a way to, to, to bring just the power of women, to show that women, we don't use enough the power in women. And if you want to change things in the world, is to use the women uh, where they can just do things that we men, we can do.
0: Well, I was gonna ask you about when was the time in your life that you've been the most brave? I think one of the most brave things you've done is to actually um, write down, leave the words for the rest of the world to digest as they choose about what is happening to women and the sexual violence against them. It's one of the bravest acts I've ever witnessed. And I know you've done incredible brave things going in and rescuing women and helicoptering them out and saving their lives physically Mm -hmm. and emotionally. But this is a very brave act on your part. And I thank you for doing it, Dr. McGregor. The book is called The Power of Women, and it's available now wherever books are sold. I'm hoping millions of people around the world will read it.
1: Thank you so much for supporting us to get this book. And uh, I hope that it will make uh, many people read it and and just support the fight for the rights uh, the rights of women. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well done, sir. Well Thank done, you. sir. I think we said it all. I have one of my daughters here who is from Rwanda. Actually, come over and say hello. This is one of my daughter girls. Oh, hello. So uh, this is Lillian Tamakazi, who. Uh, lost her family in the genocide at 10 years old she witnessed her whole family destroyed and lived there survived mm-hmm. as a 10 year old alone for three months in the wilderness and then ended up in an orphanage and got herself to the United States and you know we, we just met maybe seven eight years ago but anyway I thought she 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 I just introduced her to your book today and as I was doing this interview she was visiting Thank you. you for the week so thank
1: you so much really great yeah thank you so much yes uh, you, you know what happened in this region have to stop definitely and really we need to fight that this can't happen again we need really to be enough strong to say this have to stop mm-hmm. to get children who just have this um, memory i think that it's our responsibility all to say this have to stop in this region of the
0: great black region. So, you know, what you were saying, this is my final question to you, you. Uh, what you were saying, I mean, you were saying we need to reach the men, we need to be able to talk about toxic masculinity, we need to out them for what that is and get them to bring about an understanding. But do you think that's gonna happen in your lifetime, in my lifetime, we're the same age, so is that gonna happen in our lifetime?
1: Yeah, I, I, I can say that we need to be uh, optimistic because uh, when we start 20 years ago, you and, and me and others, uh, really, uh, for me, it was very hard to talk about this question. It was very hard to, to address this question. And sometimes I was just um, in depression to say how people can't understand the suffering of women. and. Uh, But if I can see now how things are uh, moving uh, when when we start, uh, I think 10 or 15 years ago, it was small movement fighting against Mm. sexual violence. But when we can see the movement as a Me Too movement and and so on to see that people now start really to talk about, about this question openly and and bring this question in schools, in university, and so on. I can say that maybe we'll not see a world without a sexual violence, but this will happen. I believe in it because I'm sure that the education can make a big difference when people are educated and understand that really that it's not a way of uh, Uh, to to people to to live with this kind of atrocities. I'm sure that maybe we're not going to see this happen, but it is happening slowly and I hope that uh, maybe the next generation can enjoy the world where women are respected. Okay, final, final.
0: You know, a lot of (laughs) people Around living in fear when they have been intimidated by their boss or intimidated by somebody, you know, even on social media or intimidated by people in their family. You have been not just intimidated, but have had your life threatened and assassination attempts. How do you not walk around in constant fear that today might be the day? How do you go on with your life and continue to live? and grace and bless other people's lives and not live in fear? Yeah,
1: you, you know, I, I, I really, I want to be very, very clear about this question. Uh, I can say that I'm what I am because women did a lot for me. And what I'm doing for women is just to give back what I receive. And mm. this is for my mother to other women I met in my life. the so women I treat at Pansy, at uh, the women I met campaigning for the uh, women's rights and so on. And I think that this all, all this together is really the, the things that bring me to don't fear, fear, to fear about myself because okay, what an I'm doing,
0: That's what it. I'm you're doing is, is
1: what I receive from women.
0: You're not human. You're an angel. I'll give that to you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Oprah. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank
0: you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.